Hi, this is Dan Barker of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists, you know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that, but with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed, I'm an It's holiday time, right? Coming at you from Secret Lair, Abbotsford, BC. This is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I won't swallow a roll of film. Thankfully, I didn't develop anything from it. <laughs> Join me as usual is a team who will remind you that eagles may soar, but weasels don't get sucked into jet engines. <laughs> she has two pair of reading glasses, one for fiction, one for non-fiction. Guess which one she uses to read the Bible, Nancy. None. <laughs> <laughs> he was asked if Chicken White crosses the road. The chicken said it was none of his business, Scott. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she poured root beer in a square glass. Now it's just beer. <laughs> I love root beer. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, welcome back. Glad to be back. Yes, you had a little vacation there. I had a little vacation, a family reunion. It was fabulous. I've got my family here, and I've got my my family in California and North Dakota. So it's good to have people I love wherever I go. Fantastic. Welcome back. We missed you. Bet. Today we're going to have a very <laughs> controversial show. We're going to talk about, has feminism gone too far? And we're going to have a special guest. He's a student, and he's going to join us later. And he says yes. So that should be interesting. Now we're not supposed to bite his head off, so we're going to be nice and cordial. We're always nice. We'll listen to <laughs> that's the, our, That's our cornerstone of being Canadian. I'll bite his head off. That's right. Yeah, You'll that's, bite his head off. That's our, that's our trademark. You know, we're Canadian. We're nice. <laughs> Perfect. But in the meantime, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Did you guys hear the TMZ reports that Justin Bieber, the Beeb, is taking time off to, quote, rededicate his life to God. Yeah, I did hear about this. <laughs> Does anybody actually care? No. Okay, perfect. <laughs> how's it Moving on. How's he going to mess this one up? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> Apparently the, the same night, I think, he actually, when it was into a car crash. And that's what happened. Oh, no, is that when he accidentally ran over... Yeah, apparently. Um, ...one of the paparazzi that were, like, surrounding his car? I just took a, a little glance at it. Yeah. That's what happens. Oh, I don't dedicate. know whether to feel good about that or bad no, about no, that. No, I, I did watch the video, and he was super nice afterwards. Like, he wasn't was he? an asshole. Like, he, no. he, like, immediately got out of the car, was like, oh, my gosh, are you okay? Wow. Okay. No, he ran over a paparazzi. So yeah. I don't know whether the bad thing happening to Justin Bieber is worth celebrating or or being sad about the paparazzi <laughs> getting run over. I mean, I, it's just so many conflicting yeah. feelings. If all, these <laughs> if all these paparazzi was just leave you alone, Scott, right? I mean, I know. I don't like them. <laughs> They're hiding in the bushes. Uh, locally, did you guys hear that Petronas has decided to pull the plug on the LNG? project in bc That's what I, I have no idea what that is L liquid natural gas i didn't hear about that no yeah uh, uh, quite a, a couple of years ago nancy you might remember this we did a show called yeah. lng uh, boondoggle or or, or uh, 
Anyway, so uh, we kind of exposed LNG for kind of what it was. Uh, we had Damien Gillis talk to us about this. And, of course, the idea was just ridiculous anyway. The, uh, they were trying to sell the uh, liquid natural gas to market, especially in China. And our premier at the time, you know, was making promises Rose would be paved with gold <laughs> if she believed everything she heard. And he got her elected. But, of course, the price of natural gas came down the drain. And on top of that, the idea that somehow we can mine the gas liquefy it, send it across the Pacific, and then sell it to China. And still make a profit. And still make a profit <laughs> was ridiculous, especially when you have the Russians next door, they're just pipelining directly. So yeah. we just became non-competitive. And of course, Petronas this week announced that, you know, that was done. The LNG dream of the plant Kitimat and all that, that's done, it's done, it's buried. I could have told you that two years ago. <laughs> if they had just asked the right person, we wouldn't have been in you know, this. This is what happens when government doesn't listen to Left of the Valley. That's exactly <laughs> what Wait happened. a minute, wait a minute. So if we're not selling it overseas, does that mean we'll get a break on the price? No. Because we have all this liquid natural gas. You like to dream technically, don't you? I do. I do. It, just, it, it amazes me that we can send all our resources out of the country and then charge exorbitant prices for what's left because, yeah. well, we don't have enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Did you guys hear that the UK is planning to ban all gasoline and diesel engines vehicle sales by 2040? I did hear about that. I just read the headlines, but that was intriguing. You think they'll be able to do it? Well, they, they just followed France's announcement because uh, France announced the same kind of th thing this month, but I think it was 2030, actually, for them. And it's part of a uh, three billion pound in air quality initiative. Now, BMW has already announced plans for an electric Mini, Yay. and Volvo is following. And air pollution is linked in the uh, UK to 40,000 uh, deaths every year. Wow. So... Uh. The That's green crazy. revolution is starting to happen. It really is. And electric cars are beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in the middle of nowhere and that charge runs out. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, well, the Tesla Model 3 has um, uh, so, uh, frick, what are they called? Solar panels. Solar panels, thank yes. you. And they're so beautiful. My boss actually just bought one of those uh, Tesla uh, Model X. It's, yeah? it's a bit higher up there. My God, is it a beautiful, oh, beautiful I know. car. They just released, um, like, footage and stuff of the Model uh, 3 today. Mm. I was geeking out about it this morning. <laughs> yeah, the Model 3 is like the, the uh, every man version. It's, yeah, I think it's only like $30,000. Mm -hmm. That's the everyday version. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a nice car. And, the, and I was the watching the test crash footage. It's insanely good. Oh, really? Like, it's... I was watching it and like where the Volvo would like kind of like scrunch, the um, Model 3 just kind of like didn't do anything. It like t the frame stayed totally intact. Wow. I know. That's <laughs> like that's... I want one. So is there anything in that article that said how the fossil fuel people reacted, reacted? to this? Uh, I don't know. Not yet, but I'm sure there's going to be a reaction. <laughs> there's this wonderful little documentary uh, from I think it was 2004 called Who Killed the Electric Car? I've seen that. And uh, it's maddening. That documentary, is, you know, makes me angry because, you know, they had this initiative. They had an electric car. A GM had an electric car. The EV1. The EV1. They were 10 years ahead of everybody. Yep. You know, and, and it was actually a really nice car. As California decides all of a sudden, okay, 5% of all new vehicle sales are going to be electric from now on. 5%. It's nothing, really. Uh, but then the lobby, the oil lobby came in, and they just scrapped them. Just brought them all back and because they were leased and scrapped mm -hmm. them all and then brought yeah. out the Hummer. Don't! 
Oh, my God. Well, this, this actually goes back to when cities had streetcars, and the streetcars yes. were electric, electric. And, the, and the oil companies sabotaged that to by bringing in the Toba, buses yeah. and that as well. I think, it, I think it goes in history. I think oh, it absolutely. probably goes back absolutely. to that point. And it's heading back slowly but surely towards Yeah. That. Did you guys hear that we could have great white sharks in BC waters no. soon? <laughs> This is where I got to play that Jaws intro. Oh. <laughs> really? Yes. According to uh, this is according to a UBC researcher. Because of climate change, the, the the waters are getting a bit warmer. Therefore, the sharks are moving a bit up north as well. Can we just can we just not? The ocean's already a terrifying place. <laughs> Apparently, there's already 14 species of sharks in the BC waters. But so. they're not great whites. No, they're not but great whites. Aren't? But there's way more dangerous don't, sharks than great whites. Don't Bull orcas. Sharks. Yeah. Don't orcas and great whites not get along? Yeah, they don't get along. Wouldn't this be a conflict of epic proportions? I vote orca. <laughs> They're going to win. Yeah, well, they yeah, have killer, killer whales have been known to kill sharks. They can beat up the shark together. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be interesting to watch. And, of course, we got to talk about the uh, Trump transgender ban in the U.S. military. <laughs> oh, my god! Well, they're two separate things. They're, <laughs> they're, but we have to move some, we have to move some words. There's the Trump ban, and then there's the transgender, transgenders in the army. Mm. And they just, at this point, thank goodness, they don't match up. Well, because the, the Trump thing came as a tweet, you yeah. know, and, and then the, uh, the guys in the army sort of looked at each other and says, wait a minute, we're, we, we never, we <laughs> Yeah, never said a word like, about they, this. They this is not tweeted, our They problem. actually tweeted back and said, uh, yeah. Trump said said that, you know, he was he had talked to all his generals, generals yeah. and uh, they, this is what he was doing, and the generals actually tweeted back and went, no, you didn't. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. No, I, I don't, you know, it's almost as though the man wakes up at 3 o'clock or he's still up at 3 o'clock in the morning and How says... screw up more people today? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what nasty, mean, horrible thing that people will talk about can yeah. I do? And I don't know whether or not he puts a phone call in to the evangelicals before he does it so that he gets, the, you know, the tightest base that he has. He gets their uh, view exactly on things. It. And, and then goes ahead and does it? Or he's just so mentally unbalanced that, you know, it's just stream of consciousness and out it comes. Yeah. I, it's even worse because he says he claims it's because of cost. Oh, my gosh. Medical cost so to yeah. the military, which is ridiculous. Well, because, they debunked that right away. Yeah. If, if anybody mm. knows anything about the U.S. is they have an incredible budget for the military. And I think it's like not even half of a half a percent. Well, in the they, U.S. They spent, it's, it's insanely stupid. I don't know what the actual number was, but it was under $10 million they've spent on transgender issues yep. in the military. But last year they spent $85 million on erectile dysfunction. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, that's it. If you take you know, all of the other medical problems that they cover, if you're diabetic, they cover that. If you have, you know, any other problems, they well, cover I, that. So, proportionately, it, it's a drop in the bucket. I can understand why they would spend $85 million on erectile dysfunction because you really want your military to be able to stand at attention, right? <laughs> So, what you guys might not know is the uh, spokesperson for the Canadian military, 
for the defense uh, said the Canadian military will reflect Canadian ideals and diversity. Uh, there was a tweet the uh, Canadian military sent. They said, we welcome Canadians of all sexual orientation and gender identities. Join us. And there's a picture of the Royal Canadian Navy band members playing instruments in pride colors. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, once that was, again. I think that was a Halifax. Uh, uh, that might have been the pride thing in Halifax. Doesn't well, matter. So cool. well, once, once again, we they show that. They support it big time. Right? Mm-hmm. Once again, we show that why, yeah. why, why Canada, no offense to our American listeners, but why Canada is actually better. Well, Americans, hopefully, oh, sorry, I didn't mean no, to interrupt no, you, but hopefully this, with Trump tweeting this, before this, a lot of people were like, oh, he supports like LGBT rights, but it's like, this is something that he's wanting to put into actual action. So, like, yeah, he held up a pride flag that someone handed to him. <laughs> but this is something he put out himself wanting to achieve. And it's like, yeah, no, I don't think he's really supporting everybody. No, he's no, not. He's not. He's not. He's being... He wanted votes. He has yeah. no yep. commitment to anything other than himself. And that's the bottom line. Yep. We just have a con man at the head of the presidency yeah. in the yeah. U.S. Anyway, my dear Nancy, it's time for a bit of Distant History. Okay, why not? Let's do it. Okay, and as we know, this day in history is a roundup of those events and people that altered and illuminated the days between July 24th and July 30th. But before we get to that, I want to go back to July the 12th because there's a really, it's a really tiny little vignette that I that I think you'll like um, that had to do on July 12th when I wasn't here. Um, But this is a really neat little story. Um, We often uh, bring up the daredevils in one way or the other on this day in history because they're fascinating people and they do exciting things. So on July 12th, way back in 1876, um, a beautiful young lady named Signorina Maria Speltorini, who was an Italian uh, lady, became the first woman ever to cross the Niagara River Gorge on a tightrope. Many came after her, and there were some men before, but she was the first woman, and she was a performer. She was from Italy. She had performed in various various countries before that um, and she was 23 years old and she made her debut in the U.S. and Canada because she went between the two on July 8th and it was part of a centennial having to do with the uh, Declaration of Independence. So she performed using a 5.7 centimeter wire just located north of the lower suspension bridge and off she went. She proved herself equal to the tightrope walkers that preceded her by performing some very miraculous feats and I really don't know whether or not they've ever been doing duplicated or not. So on the 12th, she crossed wearing peach baskets stra- uh, strapped to her feet on this on this wire, peach baskets. It's just peachy. It was just peachy. And then a week later, she crossed blindfolded. And then three days later after that, she crossed with her ankles and wrists handcuffed. And these weren't illusions. They actually crossed doing this. So this, she. This woman needs a hobby. She, yeah. I think so she, she had one. She had one. Yeah. She, she crossed a total of five times, the last being on July 26th. She performed one more time in Philadelphia and then was never heard again, heard from again. No one knows 
whatever happened to her when she died, where she went. Did she have like a lover on the other side? And she must. was crossing with the handcuffs and everything? Or? Yeah, either that or she said, I've done everything I know how to do. This is my peak. I'll never, Jeez. you know. But right. the fact that she just disappeared from history is a, one of the biggest mysteries ever. It's kind of okay. neat. Yeah, that is kind of neat. Yeah, and when you look at pictures of her um, on, on uh, Wikipedia and, and various other, she had this beautiful, long, flowing, curly black hair. She was a looker. She really was. Who knows? But anyway, that was a that was a wonderful story about Marie. Mm. So coming back into um, this week, um, July 25th um, was the end of um, in 1925. It was the end of the Scopes Monkey Trial in Dayton, Tennessee. And as we all know, the jury gave their verdict after only nine minutes of consideration, and John Scopes was found guilty of teaching evolution. Mm. And we just we just had Dan Barker talk about this one. Exactly. That he was on. Um, the judge the judge determined that Scope should be fined a hundred dollars, but technically the amount should have been set by the jury. And that's what the Tennessee Supreme Court said when in nineteen twenty seven it overturned the the verdict, but the law stood for 42 years and was repealed on 17th of May, 1967. So there's 42 years that the law was on the books. July 28th was a day of commemoration um, of the great upheaval, but I forgot to put where the upheaval was. <laughs> I typed it up so thorough. We had an upheaval, and that's the commemoration. It was everywhere. It was it, everywhere. It, everywhere. Yeah, I just noticed that I, I never put where the upheaval was, so I will come back. We don't want that to be a, a mystery. We'll, we'll figure that out, because it may still be upheaved someplace. I never did de-upheaval. De I don't know. Anyway, July 28th was the expulsion of the Acadians in Nova Scotia, and the lieutenant governor gave full approval to the Council of Nova Scotia to deport and disperse those Acadians who refused to take an oath of allegiance. So that was bad news for Nova Scotia, but great news for Louisiana and Cajun cooking, because that's how the Cajuns ended up in Louisiana. Uh, July 30th is the Feast of the Throne in Morocco. And in 1908, it was a round-the-world automobile race that ended in Paris. In um, that ended in Paris, and the race was the first of its kind among automobiles. It, it, and it commenced in Times Square on February the 12th in 1908. Six cars representing four nations were at the starting line, and it was a 169-day ordeal. Jeez. It was. There were not very many paved roads, and in many parts of the roads, no world no roads at all and the teams at times resorted to straddling no locomotive rails with their cars riding the tie to tie on balloon tires for hundreds of miles where there were no roads so the route took them from Valdez Alaska um, by ship uh, they rerouted across the Pacific by steamer to Japan and then it was on to Vladivostok, Siberia, then by ship to Asia and Europe. And after all of this, only three of the competitors made it past Vladivostok. And um, there was a, uh, one of the teams called the Thomas Flyer. They arrived in Paris on July 30th, 1908 to win, having covered 16,700 kilometers. Wow. So, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. It was really a really a grueling, grueling trip. And a much needed challenge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And take the bugs out of their their teeth. Yes. Of the way. 1956 U.S. motto in God We Trust was authorized. A lot of the right wings want you to think that it was always there, but it was only in 1956 at the height of the McCarthy um, and, and communist uh, yes. um, problem. Yes. McCarthy. Yeah. McCarthyism. The yeah. only good red is a dead red. <laughs> yeah, and actually it was um, it was uh, adopted as the official motto as an alternative or replacement to the unofficial motto, which was E Pluribus Unum. Mm-hmm. And that was, was better. Yeah, and that, so was, much that was in, in 1782, and it, it should have stayed all all the while. But uh, secularists have expressed objections to the In God We Trust and have sought to have it removed from the currency. Um, but um, so far, uh, it, 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 it hasn't hasn't uh, hasn't happened. Well, there's a lot of uh, American bills in circulation with the original motto still on. I don't know whether I don't think they're in circulation. Well, I mean, if you, but, you stumble yeah. upon an old twenty-dollar bills from nineteen forty. Oh, oh, yeah. I guess they would turn up. I mean, if someone. It would be interesting. It would be interesting. Yeah, if anyone has one, send it to. <laughs> <laughs> even better, Kevin Francis. Even better if it's a two-dollar bill. A two-dollar, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. Right, exactly. The Americans didn't have that. Yeah, yeah. they do. No, yes, they never they had do. a two. Yes, they yeah. do. Yeah, they have. They have, they, they have one. I have a two-dollar bill. And you guys never. Okay. <laughs> I'm left in the dark here, apparently. You no, know, right, I have. I have a two-dollar, two-dollar bill, and I have a little collection that my husband left me of, of money from various countries, and there's a two-dollar yeah. bill in there. It's it's not a common uh, denomination in American bills, but there are two-dollar bills. Oh. Yeah, there are two. Oh, there are two-dollar bills in the in the states. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know why they yep. were discontinued, but and I think they were discontinued in the in the forties. America's 50s. number one. That's why. Yeah. America. But, okay. I, I thought at first you were talking about Canadian. No, no, no. Oh, well, I had all kinds of those. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have one I of those. Have the original no, I don't design. have a U.S. one. But they, I, th- I think you can probably buy one on eBay. I think they're still available. And yeah, I think maybe in Vegas they still So you're going to buy a $2 bill for $6. Yeah. <laughs> and a good investment. $6 U.S. Okay, so on July 30th, taking an end here to this day in history in 1962, the Trans-Canada Highway, the largest national highway in the world, was officially opened. And that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and as many times as I can work in bizarre events and people (laughs) that make up this day in history. That Trans-Canada Highway, it's bizarre all right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what? In a way, it is. Because right here it's call number one, but in Toronto it's a 401. Really? And if you go into Quebec, into Quebec it's Highway 20. <clears throat> yep. So there you go. Now the question is, is, is it still the longest railway system? I mean highway. Driver, or, highway sorry, highway. System. Wow. It's a good question. I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. It's a long road. It is a very long road. I think one one of our friends this week put something on Facebook saying that uh, he was he was headed on the Trans Canada and he looked it up on Google and it said stay straight on the highway for 438 <laughs> kilometers. Oh my God. There has to be a gentler way for Google <laughs> to, to state that. <laughs> and no pit stop. No. And no pit stop. But lots of Tim's. Funny you, you do yes. you do find highways in Canada that are really strange before. 
before the Trans Canada was twinned in New Brunswick, used to go from Nova Scotia through to Quebec, and and you could cut three hours off the trip by taking the Renous Highway. Well, the Renous Highway was nothing more than a paved logging road. There were no services. There was nothing. So you would hit a sign coming out of Renous. You would hit a sign that said, next service station, 268 kilometers. And that was the last telephone pole you hit for 268 kilometers. (laughs) So do not break down. Do not break down. And I usually took it at night, right? Because you don't want to travel during the day when all the trucks are on the road. So you take it at night. It's a good thing you only got a quarter tank of fuel left. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make it. We'll make it. We'll stretch. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, we'll do something we haven't done in a long time. Let's do... Things that make you go. Get a lot of weird stories today. Gosh, like four of them. Now, did you guys know? You know, as as a child, I don't know about you guys, but we joked that marble cake came from brown and white cows. <laughs> now, if you go to the Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy website, their top frequently asked question is: Does chocolate milk come from brown cows? Now, they answer clearly and politely. Yes. <laughs> say, and you should know. Someone Christine. who works in the dairy industry. That's right. Yes. They say, actually, chocolate milk or any flavored milk for that matter is white cow's milk with added flavoring and sweeteners. Of course, yeah. right? Unfortunately, this message does not appear to be sinking with the American public. <laughs> As a survey commissioned by the center that has found that a whopping 7% of Americans still think that chocolate milk comes directly from a brown cow. Wow. You know, maybe, maybe Trump could do the world a favor and tweet that one out. <laughs> yeah. You'd probably reach that 7%. <laughs> that means it's 16.4 million people nationwide who think that chocolate milkshake could potentially drug, be drugged directly from a cow's udder. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so so does that mean that a red cow would give red milk? No, yeah, it's strawberry flavor. Strawberry flavor. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I like that idea. Time. So okay. the... the <laughs> This is, this is sounding like a really cool world to live in. <laughs> it gets even more alarming. It gets even better. 48% of rep- uh, respondents admitted they weren't sure where chocolate milk comes from. This is true across the nation, and that would be an astounding 154,272,000 potential voters who aren't confident as to guess cow. That's more <laughs> than the population of Canada. Yes. <laughs> well, what, what happens if you have a black and white cow? I was thinking the same thing. You get, you, get, you get milk with Oreo cookies yeah. in it. <laughs> what about brownies? Mm-hmm. I know a study in the early 90s found... <laughs> and very sore udders. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a study in the early 90s found that 20% of adults didn't know the hamburgers are made from, <laughs> from meat from cows. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Uh. So apparently, they also found that uh, 37% of people secretly drink milk straight out of the container in the fridge. Hey. Another 29% use their children as an excuse to buy chocolate milk so they can drink it for themselves. Yes. <laughs> and then you become an adult without children, and you're like, I can do whatever I want. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay, somebody tie it down, Christina, will you? On uh, his program, uh, there's a right-wing radio host, Jesse Lee Pearson. He's, he's attacking Hillary still. That's like so last year. Yes. (laughs) For encouraging children to read and said their parents should never allow the kids to read Harry Potter. Bullshit. (laughs) Peterson began by declaring that Barack Obama is going down in history as the most hated, worst, weak, poor, pathetic, pitiful excuse for president who brought this nation at the right brink of destruction until, ta-da, God stepped in by electing Donald Trump. It was God. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, 
Gunner said, hold up, I'm not going to let this happen. Where's Trump? Jesus, go over there and talk to Trump and tell him I need him to get someone <laughs> to do something for me. <laughs> Peter says it. And now the president is making America great again. And then he turned his attention to Clinton, who said, you know, she keeps going down in the pits of hell, sucking the blood out of the dead, and coming back, trying to hold on to her relevance. This is an evil, evil, nasty, dirty woman, he said. Thank God, thank God, thank God she did not win the presidency. Well, did you know she eats babies? Apparently. I eat babies. <laughs> What's the problem? They're just so yummy. They are. Peterson was outraged that uh, Clinton had spoken at the American Library Association conference where she said that books like the Harry Potter series have been proven to teach children to have compassion for those who are different. Truth. If that is true, immediately <laughs> stop your children from reading Harry Potter, he said. <laughs> what? If it's true that reading Harry Potter causes kids to be more open to immigrants and LGBT people, then you're going to pay for brainwashing, traumatizing, turning your children away from good and towards evil. I would shut down all these books right away, if that's true. I'm just shaking bag. my head. What a douchebag. Oh, oh my God. Because we can't have people becoming better citizens. My, my, yeah, we, we, we wouldn't want compassion in the world. I no. mean, Acceptance? What the hell are you talking about? Acceptance? Oh. <laughs> this is the stuff that goes on in the States. All right. Well, not all the states. I mean, it's just the state of wacko. I'm convinced that there has to be a 51st state. It's called <laughs> wacko, where these people come from. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Wacko is right. Um, so did you guys hear that? Uh, here's another fun story. You know, there's a uh, passage that uh, God, uh, for God, has ordered the Israelite to slaughter the apparently sinful Canaanites. You ever heard of that, yeah. right? Yes. Kill the Canaanites. Quote, this is uh, from the Bible, you shall not leave anything that breathe, but you shall utterly destroy them. And according to the Bible, they did just that. Well, that was supposed to be the order given by God to eliminate the Canaanites, the sworn enemy of the Israelites, way back then. However, a new genetic study has found that the Canaanites actually managed to survive this purge of their <laughs> traditional homeland, passing on their DNA over the centuries to their numerous descendants today in modern-day Lebanon. Well, isn't that because they kept the girls? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> no, because it, it, it's, it's not the same thing as Moses. It was not keep the girls for yourself. This one was supposed to eliminate oh, all okay. of Oh, this is one where they yeah. just killed everything. Was, yeah, if there's a fly flying in the air, kill it. Next good it. luck. Exactly. Burn it with fire. <laughs> so the scientists managed to exact, sorry, exact, extract enough DNA from the remains of five people found in the former Canaanite city of Sidian and dated about 3,700 years ago to sequence their Italian genome. They then compared it to this 99 modern Lebanese people and discovered they had inherited about 90% of their genetic ancestries from these guys. Oh, cool. Yeah. So th that was in a paper in the American Journal of the Human Genetics. So, so the massacre never, Yeah, the yep. massacre never happened. <laughs> in other words, you know, the Bible is not a historical document. Shocker! Total shocker! <laughs> I, yeah, I never would have guessed. No, me <laughs> The Bible reports the destruction of the Canaanite cities and the annihilation of its people. If true, the Canaanites would not have been directly contributed genetically to present-day populations of researcher worlds. However, no archaeological evidence has so far been found to support widespread de destruction of Canaanites cities between the Bronze Age and the Iron Age. Cities of the Levant coast, such as City on Tyre, show continuity of occupation until the present day. Tyre is another city that was supposed to be eradicated forever. It even says so in the Bible. It's still up, up I'm, today. I, I'm thinking the, God the Canaanite issue, I've, I've got that one solved because there were several families that were on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't get wiped out. So yeah. 
they were yeah. visiting. They went they to Disney visiting, World. Yeah, they were visiting Disney World, yeah. and and they missed the wiping out of there. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So when they came home, they had nothing to come home to, <laughs> and they dispersed. So the Canaanites are roundly condemned in the Old Testament. They were the inhabitant of Sodom and Gomorrah. The two cities destroyed by fire and brimstone directly by God, according to the book of Genesis. So, there you go. The Bible is just not reliable. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Science. You mean yeah, a yeah. donkey didn't talk? I know. I so wanted to talk. About okay, they, they, do, they do show that the bush can burn, though. Yes, that, that they, is They actually have, yeah, fact. they have a bush that will spontaneously yeah, but if, combust. If, if a bush can burn, it's not going to give you commandments. It's going to say, hey, well, hey, extinguish but, me. But please, the thing please. is, if I'm you're burning. on hallucinogenics, totally. and the crackling of the fire might sound like words. And uh, you know, if you've been in the <laughs> desert for four days and 40 nights, you might just be hallucinating at that point, too. Of course, that, that's assuming you exist in the first place. And of course. <laughs> Scott, you told me you got a story. Oh, this is a neat one. Uh, associated press picked up uh well they've been chasing this this church this uh word of faith uh sorry word of faith fellowship and the associated press has actually been chasing this pentecostal congregation out of spindale north carolina for quite some time and what they found when the story actually uh, erupted um there is brazilians that were brought to the United States and basically treated as slaves by the church. They were young, young people. It's just amazing what this church does or, or what this cult does, because that's what a AP Associated Press calls them. Um, they have, let's see if I can find it in, in the, were they Brazilian bikini models? <laughs> no, no, these were just, these are young. It's a totalitarian cult. Jane Whaley is the leader. And, uh, Jane Whaley. Whaley. W-H-A-L-E-Y. She keeps wailing it, at people. It began in 1979, and it has since spread to Brazil, Ghana, Scotland, Sweden. I found reference to it in Canada. And the, uh, the style of worship is, is described as ecstatic. Sometimes members hop. Sometimes they speak in tongues. Oh, well, that doesn't sound well, any different. Well, it's Pentecostal. Yeah, it's Pentecostal. Doesn't sound any Pentecostals, but but then they uh, the rules. They're not allowed to once they're they they enter the 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 compounds that they enter are actually eight foot fence barbed wire. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Well, right out of Cult Central. Uh, they may not, members may not celebrate birthdays or holidays, um, and including Christmas and Easter. They may not watch television or movies. They don't read newspapers or eat in restaurants that play music or serve alcohol. But what's the name okay. of this church again? It's called the Word of Faith Fellowship. Word of Faith, okay. Word of Faith Fellowship. So And they speak in tongues all the time. They right? speak in tongues. They um oh members <laughs> Men and women must swim with shirts on, men may not grow beards, members must get permission to attend college, and once there have their majors chosen by Whaley and must attend with other members who watch each other's behavior. Wow. Oh, right out of the cult uh, uh, rule book. Oh, yeah. Totally, totally. yeah. And then they must work for the church or a business run by other church members. So there was, there's been abuse allegations for quite some time on this, on this church. Since 1995, the, they have been chased around. Sadly, nobody's ever really able to make any of the charges stick. 
Yeah, huh. uh, the, the authorities don't seem to want to chase it. So when people bring allegations up, well, this time the Associated Press has found that these Brazilians came up and they, there's quite a number of them. And what's happened is uh, when the news broke, it got picked up around the world oh, by different newspapers. So the Washington Post was the one that I found it in. But this story got picked up around the world. Well, now the U.S. federal government and the Brazilian government are investigating the allegations. Yeah, they're forced by the press they're to do so. They're forced by the press yeah. to do so. So again, thank you, Associated Press, for bringing this to light. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they um, they <clears throat> it's it's almost scary what these guys do to their to their uh, if they've got to punish someone blasting they use blasting which is standing in a circle and loudly praying sometimes for hours oh my God. to drive out the demons so they yell at you for hours on end <laughs> to drive out the demons they also beat so there, there was one woman in 2000 testified in a child custody case that her one year old son was subjected to blasting what standing in a circle and loudly praying sometimes for hours to drive out the demons she also said her son was beaten enough to cause bruises no are they, are they bringing over brazilians are those immigrants or are they no, illegal they're, they're they're bringing them over on student visas and then they keep them in oh. the church doing work sometimes for up to 15 to 18 hours a day with no contact with their families no outside contact they don't pay them and and they subject them to this blasting ritual if they complain or or dissent at all that's gonna come back to bite them you live to regret this so i i thought it was an interesting story in that now it's been picked up by the papers that the governments are actually investigating Mm -hmm. them saying okay that's about time yeah, yeah we've got a problem here wow so has there been anyone able to leave the church yes People have left, but then you're, the communities you're coming from are basically run by the church. Oh, I see. So totally it's just like route. it's just like people who leave the Jehovah Witnesses. Yeah. Or leave, you're, you're committing you're social suicide, yeah, right? You're, yeah. you're committing social suicide, right? Yeah, and that's always been the the the, the trump card of religion, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. If you are you strong enough as a person to actually abandon everything yeah. you knew, and a lot of us aren't. So it's well, true. it's going to be hard to disband because it sounds like they're the policy central for the Trump administration. Oh, so, yeah. you know, trying you know, to... <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll actually support them. I, I can see it. Yeah. yeah. It's it's just sad that we still... He'll have him work in Trump Tower. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad that we still have this going on to this day. Yeah. It is. and But the, then you start to wonder, they can't be an isolated group. There's got to be others that are under the radar mm-hmm. at this point point yeah. and you know trying to, these, these trying the to ones, find them these are the ones that are getting chased by the by the uh, journalists and it, it, finding out information yeah so and what what the reason this one came to light was because these brazilians have actually spoken out i guess oh, there's 30 good. 30 there's about 30 of them that have spoken out are they, and they're actually, i'm assuming they're out of the church now yeah that's good yeah they've they've uh, but they're in fear they're actually yeah. in fear some of them won't speak with their names you know they won't put their names up because yep. they're afraid of retribution from the church. Huh. So sad. It is. So there you go. There's there's the depressing news. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about well, Harry Potter again. The, ha- the happy thing is that it is being investigated by the governments, yes. and um, we'll so, just have to watch. It, sometimes it takes just one case like that. Remember that case of uh, we went to see that movie. Remember Spotlight? Yeah. You know, when I they actually seen broke. It yet. Oh, it's a fantastic one. I know. Yeah. yeah. Investigative journalists are 
are real. They're heroes. Oh, they, they are. When they do the job, yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Associated Press is obviously doing their job. They've been chasing these guys since 1995. Hmm. And All right. every little piece of information they can get, the journalists mm-hmm. are just running with it and opening it up. So, unfortunately, kudos to Associated ni- Press. Since 1995. So, how many years is that since session? Yeah, 21. We're talking 20, over 20 years. They've been chasing these guys, and it's the Associated Press. Keep, it keeps coming back to them as the news agency that's there's, chasing it. There's still and 20 years of abuse that's happening in yeah. the meantime, right? That's, yep. that's the sad part of it. All right. Well, let's take a break for now, and we'll come right back, and we'll discuss, has feminism gone too far? So stay with us. Hi. I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. Do you know where Saskatchewan is? Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2000. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. Open up your eyes, can't you see the world is falling? Here we go with this bullshit again. Listen with your ears, can't you hear the Lord is calling? Motherfucker, that's just a win. And here's the real reason why superstitions begin. Because we looking for facts and you people play and pretend. Well, welcome back, like and we have with us Dave. He's a student at the University of Alberta, and he's studying a commerce. Dave, welcome to the Fraser Valley. Hey, nice to meet you guys. And Dave... The show today is, has feminism gone too far? And you think yes, and you think you can make a point to that. So, sir, the mic is all yours. Go right ahead. You explain to us what you think so. Well, basically, what I think is that humans, just like all other animals, have evolved physiological adaptations. But I take it one step further and say say that um, humans have evolved psychological adaptations too. And this stems from evolutionary biology and evolutionary psychology. So my basic tenet is that um, anisogamy, which is the fusion of two dissimilar gametes, when they come together, they form a new organism, right? So the fusion of these two dissimilar gametes are what you can think of as males and females. That is... One sex produces um, small gametes, which require very less energy to make, and one um, sex produces large gametes, which require a lot more energy to make. So that that is a proto 
sperm and proto-egg. The proto-egg provides the cytoplasm, the mitochondria, and everything like that. So there's a lot more energy required to make that. So this makes um, the egg a lot more rarer than the sperm. And so this creates an inequality because one sex can make tons of um, gametes and the other sex just makes a couple of them. So this um, creates different strategies for the sexes because of environmental pressures and evolutionary pressures. And so as our organisms get more complicated, these differences get amplified and they become stronger. And humans are just one of those organisms which have sexual dimorphism that started 1.2 billion years ago. Now, what, do you, what exactly do you mean by sexual dimorphism? Sexual dimorphism is the sexual differences between males and females that have evolved from 1.2 billion years ago, starting from when, ori- when sex originally began. And so as organisms became more and more complicated, the sexes became more and more different because of the different mating strategies, different environmental pressures, um, sexual selection and all that kind of stuff created um, different bodies, different uh, behavior in the sexes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that, may, that makes perfect sense so far, but sexual dimorphism is certainly not uh, unique to human, uh, the human yep. animal, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, you can see it in all primates and mammals and reptiles and everything like that. Do we know of any animals that doesn't really have a sexual dimorphism like that? Or it's mostly unicellular <laughs> organisms that do not have sexual dimorphism because they reproduce asexually. Mm. And lower, lower life forms. Yep. And also, um, sexual dimorphisms varies in different species. For example, some primates that are monogamous they have low levels of sexual dimorphism while others species like gorillas for example they have high levels of sexual dimorphism because of different mating strategies and um you can kind of predict what kind of organisms they will be by just looking at the sizes of males and females for example in gorillas because the males are much bigger you can tell for example the males are far more aggressive they're far more um uh, polygamous and one male monopolizes all the females and has a harem of females so basically he gets to produce sexually with all of them while the other males do not yeah, and my so ultimate this fantasy <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you liked gorillas <laughs> good one please continue Dave yeah, so basically what I think feminism gets wrong is that feminism says that um, human gender dynamics is based on oppression and misogyny and all that. But it doesn't take into um, account how evolution created different behaviors in males and females. Like, for example, the evolutionary psychologist David Buss, he says that um, the, the the... Basically, what he says is, has proposed a co-evolutionary theory to explain the origins of patriarchy, suggesting that, like, female tendency to prefer men with resources and men's competitive strategy have co-evolved. What he means by this is that men with higher resources, with more resources, have higher status, so they can provide for the females and females will select these males and reproduce with them so these specific males 
have more resources, more status, are more likely to reproduce. And this goes back to um, a, an evolutionary idea called the Bateman's Principle, which says that there's more variance in male reproductive success than female. For example, in the difference between a female reproductive success is basically like having six kids or four kids. The ones who has six kids are more is more uh, reproductively successful than the one who has four kids. But for males, one person could have like 20 kids and the other person could have zero kids. So there's a huge difference between males and females in, in terms of that. So males who have more um, status and more resources have far more kids than males who have no resources and no status. And and we, have, we also know this is a fact because from... 800 plus societies that have been studied majority of them have some kind of polygamy where one where a group a very small group of males have tons of wives and they're able to reproduce at a much higher rate than all other males in that society hmm okay so are you are you saying that evolutionary biology might be a good excuse for chauvinistic tendencies no, um, this is where we have to remember just because something is, it was the way it is, does not mean we have to still behave like that. Yes. Equal equality under the law is obviously important for everyone, but getting the ideas um, about gender dynamics is important because blaming men for what's causing women's um, suffering is not the right way for going about it. Like, for example, um, Females say, I mean, feminists say that um, it is society that creates um, gender roles for women and men, right? But if we if we take a look at for most of human history, for most of human history, humans have been hunter gatherers, and so there was a strict division of labor, being that males usually hunted and females usually gathered, and this obviously depended on the temperature, environment, and all that. But for the most part, males hunted and females gathered. Oh, hold on a so, sec. Hold on there a sec, Dave, because we don't know that for sure. We assume at this point, but we don't We don't really have the evidence to actually prove that. And we don't know if women out there didn't go out hunting with the men. Um, there is evidence because we still study modern um, human gathered societies. And in, those, in all those societies, males, mostly males who hunt. Okay. Yeah, so the fact is that there's strict sexual division of labor that comes from biological proclivities itself. So this is not created by society or culture because for, you can do cross-cultural studies um, looking at, for example, job different job choices and uh, sociosexuality and all that kind of stuff cross-culturally. And there's strong evidence that there's universal... Um, social sexuality and job preferences like for example if you take like david buss has done studies um for 53 cultures where he looked at uh the job choices of men and women in like india saudi arabia netherlands norway sweden america canada for example and what he found was that in more gender egalitarian societies there's far more job choice discrepancy that is the job choices between males and females are more different in gender egalitarian societies. In Saudi Arabia, for example, there's far more women who go into sciences and technology than women in Norway and Sweden. And this obviously does not mean Saudi Arabia is more gender egalitarian. What this means is that, or what the psychologists postulate is that, 
as the society gets more freer and more liberal, people are allowed to go for their own choices, and this creates differences. But feminists say that this is because of culture. But obviously, Saudi Arabia is far more sexist than Canada is, yet there's difference in job choices. And social sexuality, for example, is the same thing. Males prefer far more sexual variety and sexual partners. And this is because of evolution, not because of culture. Because, again, as I go back to the anisogamy, which is that since eggs are more harder to produce, they're more... They're kind of more sacred in a way. So females are obviously going to be more choosy. It's a higher investment. Yeah. Yes, there's far, yes, there's far more investment. And there's, there's an idea in evolutionary biology called parental investment theory, which says that one sex um, invests far more time into um, re- child rearing. And that is the females. In, all, in every single mammalian species, it is a female who rep- um, invests far more time and child rearing and this is again because of the fact that the eggs are way more harder to um, create so they require a lot more energy so obviously the female is not going to just go and have um, sexual um, acts with every single male because that could create a lot of trouble for her because if it's like one female and 50 males she can only have one child per year right Mm-hmm. But if it's fifty, it's like one guy and fifty females. He can have lit- he can potentially have fifty kids in a year, so that creates a sexual inequality, and so from that stems a lot of sexual differences. Hmm. Okay. I've also explained why some porno movies you send semen by the gallon almost. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. Go ahead. So again, like what I think the main thing that feminism gets wrong is how it views um, females as uh, almost like pawns to the patriarchy, like females did not participate in creating this society. And the fact is females did because, again, going back to David Buss's theory of co-evolution of female tendency to prefer men with resources and men's competitive strategy... What he says is that since females prefer men with higher status and high, more resources, this will obviously mean that males with males will obviously have monopoly over leadership statuses all over the world, and females will not because females are selecting for those males. So this is why we see in most cultures it is the males who have leadership statuses, and fe- feminists obviously say this is because of sexism. But I think it's not because of sexism, it's because of our inherent biology. Hmm. It almost sounds, it almost sounds like you're, uh, I don't think that's what you're saying, but it almost sounds like you're saying that these societies where males were very dominant and women, women were more uh, submissive is not just a cause of, caused by biology, but almost determined by women. Well, you can it's not determined by women is is because obviously if you are a female, you, child rearing is very difficult and doing it by yourself is, is is insanely difficult. So you would obviously want a man who would invest his time and resources into you and your child, right? Because it's way, it's way more difficult to do it alone. And also because males um in humans specifically take part in child rearing they also select females who are less promiscuous and less um 
more, I mean, more choosy and less promiscuous, basically. So there's is not you should. I don't really blame it on one gender or the other. It's it's. I think it's co-evolved in both genders. Okay, so so how do you explain then? I can understand that. Okay, uh, this like you said, you know, uh, women obviously realize on a subconscious level anyway that it takes a lot to invest into into a child. They want to make sure that the male st- stuck around uh, and and help and all that. That that kind of explains the evolution of marriage in a way, right? Marriage was a yeah. contract, but that doesn't explain why all of a sudden the family of the female partner had to pay a dowry to the male who already had the resources. You would think if that was the case, then she would have been seen as the one who was more valuable for the next generation. Um, dowry actually depended on culture. Some cultures it is a man paying the dowry and other cultures it is a woman. And I think the reason um, the women's family paid dowry was because this diary was not kept by the man. It was kept for the woman in case something happened to the man. It was for her own protection in a way. So if I understand you, which is sort of a 50-50 toss-up, yeah. the way my mind works, are, are you saying that cultural roles are so predetermined that there, there's no way for changes to occur or equalities to to change in, in various societies because you can't overcome your evolutionary um, heritage or e- evolutionary line of where am I going with this? You, you just can't come. You you can't overcome the, the evolution that that has produced the the, the differences and equalities. Well, you obviously can change because just look at how much our society has changed in the West from the last hundred years. How we went from agrarian society to a modern society, right? So obviously, as a society gets more modern and more liberal, there will obviously be changes. And you can make changes because... If you look at Western society, women are now working in many, in almost every single field, even though there's obviously discrepancy because, like, some fields are far more male-dominated, some fields are far more female-dominated. Mm-hmm. And what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that you cannot um, create a utopia where everything will be 50-50 between the genders because that is fundamental. I'm not a biological... D- determinist per se but I don't think there's that much leeway with our biology because some it's just it's insanely difficult to change how people behave especially when for most of our evolutionary history we have behaved that way um, like for can example I, sorry can I just jump in here for a second of course yeah um, sure. I was just wanting to bring up because you had mentioned like the a utopia of where everything's 50-50 between the sexes I would question if that's really the end we're wanting. Isn't feminism and equality more of opportunity? The fact that we want to make it so that women and men have the exact same opportunities in situations. Yeah, Versus, because when you're like, because I know one debate going on right now um, with colleges, sometimes it's like, oh, we have to have 50% women, 50% yes, male. Yes. Where that is, um, that's disadvantaging both groups. Because yep. if you if there has to be fifty percent both, then you aren't giving both genders the same opportunity. Because yep. say it's like um, a field that is highly dominated by women, like say like nursing or something, then you're disadvantaging women because 
Whereas say a, a thousand women want that course, but only 20 men, they're going to say, okay, all 20 of those men have to come in because we have to have that higher ratio. Mm-hmm. But if you're just like, okay, we want, everyone is going to be um, given the same opportunity in getting into this course. So you have to have the right expertise and the right um, like schooling. We aren't going to take your gender into a consideration. So then you might end up with things that are, are definitely hev- heavily slanted toward one um, gender. And that's where, like you were talking about, evolution comes in because there are things that through evolution are more dominant to a gender. Because like uh, males have more testosterone, um, so they're going to want to do more physical activities. Whereas females... Yep their brains are more toward interpersonal relationships and more community-based. So you're going to find more community support workers, more people working in like, um, like family, um, like uh, working with like children and all that. But you will find both genders working in every uh, field. So that's why like when you were talking about like how feminism wants this utopia with 50-50, I don't necessarily agree with that. Because I don't know if that's the end goal that fem- feminism as a movement is trying to get toward. Um, it's just, I'm basing this off of other countries. Like, for example, in Sweden, there's um, like basically quotas to fill in for how much, what percentage of the government should be females, what percentage of comp- like CEOs should be females and stuff like that. That's what I'm basing this off oh, okay. of. There obviously obviously equality under the law and equal opportunity is important because there's there's obviously um overlaps between the genders, right? Like some females are like insanely good at engineering, yeah, science totally. and whatever it is and males are good at nursing and teaching. So there's obviously overlap. But the basic tenet is that feminism thinks that if if there isn't almost the same amount of genders in one field there's obviously some form of sexism preventing women from doing that Mm. that is what i'm getting at yeah i also want to bring in the idea that you know like for example we were talking about the prime minister putting half his cabinet as women uh i don't think they're doing that uh, with that being the end goal i think what they're trying to do when they have these these uh policies whether it's hiring women or stuff like that is they're playing catch up they're playing catch up once it becomes the norm that you have about the same amount of women as men, and it becomes ingrained into society's mind, I don't think the policy will stay. We'll just, I'll just be a fact of life. See, I actually... It's like nobody says today, oh, well, we have to have so many women drivers, because now it's a fact of life. Yeah. Women drive just like men. But when, when, they, when, they, when they start giving driver's license and, and permits to women, they were encouraging women to... Be to, more proactive. Yeah. See, with politics specifically, I actually think that there should be more of a quota because, and not just for gender, you also want all religions and sexualities represented because in, in um, politics, you're representing your country demographic. Yes. Yeah, Whereas like in companies and schooling, I definitely don't think there should be a quota. I definitely think it should be based on it, merit. It, well, definitely, definitely, because I don't. I I would rather see a world where I can be going up against 
um, an individual for a job. But you bump into the same problem, right? If you're going on merit like that right now, if we go on merit, it sounds great theoretically. But then when you realize that socially, for example, Caucasians have an advantage over yes, our black so, people, our society has to catch up to that exactly. So place we want to be. I, I think I think these policies are good until we reach a natural equilibrium. Well, at that point, it won't it won't come to mind. It won't. You know, when I cross the street here in Canada today, I don't think, oh, this 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 poor woman, you know, she just learned to drive. No, no, no. This is this this is normal today, but it wasn't 50, 60 years ago. Uh, and I think I think 50, 60 years from now, more women in Parliament, for example, will be normal as well, and we won't be thinking about putting that quota. Mm-hmm. So I think I think these quotas are are good, but they're also just us playing catch up. Okay, I can I can see that. Um. So what do you guys think about the fact that in gender egalitarian societies, there's far more job choice discrepancy? Like, for example, if you go to India, Iran and Pakistan, for example, the job choices that men and females, the men and women make are pretty much similar. But if you go to Norway or Sweden, the job choices that men and women make are far more different. Like, why is it that there's more engineers in Iran, for example, than in Sweden? I must admit, I've never heard of this before. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't have any um, uh, knowledge no. on this subject, so I because, don't have. Yeah, any so, yeah there is an interesting. I, I heard about a study where they tried to bring children up as um, uh, gender neutral. They tried yeah. to bring uh, groups of children up gender neutral, boys, girls with no gender identity and what they found was as the children got through their different ages the children naturally naturally on their own went to the the girls went to the nurturing roles and mm. the boys went and, to the and that's housing. where that's where evolutionary so maybe, history comes maybe in maybe that explains when the freedom is there and when the society is ready for it that could that type of um, biological programming might be the explanation for the for the job choices. Mm. Yeah, for example, um, this scientist called Simon Baron Cohen. He's actually the cousin of Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh he, my um, God! Who? He, he, Sasha Baron Cohen. I don't know who that Borat. is. Borat. In Kazakhstan, it is illegal for more than five women to be in the same place, except for in brothel or in grave. Oh. Yeah. He, <laughs> Yeah, so this this guy, right, he did a study on one-day-old um, babies, right? So he took a robot's face and a human face, and he um, basically placed it above the one-day-old babies. So the it, what they found is that the male babies looked at the robot's faces far longer than the female babies did, and the female baby looked at the human face far longer. That sounds so like unle- a scary thing. Yeah, wait a minute. One year old baby using a robot in front of you—I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm gonna go build my own theme park with blackjack and hookers. In fact, forget the park. <laughs> so un. And this has also been studied in other primates. For example, in rhesus monkeys, they took male specific toys like for example like trucks and like action figures and whatever and female like dolls and like cooking sets and stuff like that and so what they found is that male rhesus monkeys went to the male specific toys and female rhesus monkeys went to the female specific toys yeah i i would for that study just the sound of it i'd be curious to see like the um blinding going into that study and yeah, the methodology. Well, that, was, that was basically the same study they did by trying to bring this, the children up gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Because in a gender neutral situation, well, well, there like, should have been. Trucks things, and dolls all, and stuff are very, our society 
but gender neutral. They weren't exposed to television. Mm-hmm. They weren't exposed to. They had yeah, nothing like, to tell them to go play with oh, trucks. Okay. And the boys yeah, like, naturally progressed to the male side, and the the girls naturally progressed to the female side. Hmm. So it's a, a biological programming rather than societal programming, and our society developed more than likely because of the biological program. Yeah. Well, I want to ask Dave, though, that, that study with the monkeys, Dave, what kind of toys were we talking about here? Yeah, so like trucks. Well, I mean, what, what would a monkey have any concept of what a truck is? It brings it food. It, but the fact <laughs> is that um, the thing is, right, like it's not just in rhesus monkeys, it's in, like there's been another study that found that in chimpanzees, for example, this is only female infants. Female infants is carry around this a doll kind of figure. What they mean is sticks. It's only female. It's only female infants who carry this around, and the female chimps carry this around and treat them as if they're their own babies. And only the female chimps do this. So they have. They also have like a kind of imagination that humans do with toys and all that kind of stuff. And going back to the one-day-old baby studies. Unless society can like creep up into the womb, how is it possible for them to have that big of a difference from just being born and stuff? Like, it it, it cannot just be society um, placing all these expectations. And if you say society places these expectations, you have to also answer the question: Why is society placing these expectations? Where did these expectations came for this? From for this society, for example, and the only answer is that evolution created cultures. And our biological proclivities is what our culture enhances or like tries to reduce. So, and there's so many human universalities between cultures, and that is why in like almost every single culture, there's gender roles that are very common that you can see like all around the world. Like for example, you know the slut slash stud double standard you hear about all the time, that exists. In almost every single culture there exists because of evolution, not because of it's not a socially constructed idea. That's what I'm trying to say. But we're our society is advanced to a place where we can look at that idea and be like, you know what, we're at a place where that isn't acceptable anymore. Yeah. Like we can understand the roots of it, but be like, you know what, we are past the society point where women can only raise children yeah. and that's our, our main drive it's a bit like we also have a natural tendency towards violence but we're in our society we've gone a bit past that mm-hmm. and now you don't have a fist fight every time somebody has a disagreement with you yeah because like I, I know a lot of women who are in society now and they don't want children and they don't look at women who do want children and be like okay yeah no that's a like you shouldn't do that you should be like this woman for yourself but we have to be able to look at women who don't want to follow that kind of like traditional role and they like say they want to break out of it and you know they just want to have sex with lots of people like that shouldn't be looked negatively anymore (laughs) you obviously haven't been to the parties that I have Yeah, like, I completely agree with you. Like, obviously, everyone should have the freedom to do what they want. Mm. But um, my I, my um, posturing is that basically, the sex double standard it does not come from a place of like 
controlling women in a way because um, if you like for example in hu- in human specifically it is human males also participate in child rearing yeah so they also invest time right so males are selective of females who are not promiscuous because females who are more promiscuous will obviously increase paternity uncertainty yeah because this would mean he would be raising someone else's kid. Like for example, if you look at chimpanzees, the social sexual social sexuality is very liberal over there. So the males do not participate in child re- rearing at all. It's completely up to the female. She does all, every she does all the child rearing because she has sex with almost all the males in that group, right? We're talking about specifically but, the bonobos here, not necessarily the chimpanzees, but the bonobos, right? I, um, bonobos and chimpanzees. And the chim- okay, I didn't think the chimpanzees were as quite. Uh... Yeah, they're all. But if you look at gorillas, they in the gorillas is just one male who monopolizes all females. And there's been a lot of um, evidence that human evolutionary lineage has been more like the gorillas than, for example, chimpanzees because. Though using the Y chromosome, we found that the oldest male living chimpanzee lived one million years ago, while for gorillas it lived one hundred thousand years ago, and for humans it was around two hundred thousand years ago. So our lineage is more like the gorillas than it is like the chimpanzees. So and so, oh sorry. Okay. Yeah, so I just wanted to say that this paternity uncertainty is what creates the slut slash stud double standard. And the thing is, um, I want to bring this uh, to light. It's not the slut shaming thing goes on mostly between females. Like if you look at studies, like for example, the 2005 Gallup poll, they went to um, a high school and asked females and males, do you think... Um, girls should be allowed to wear many skirts at school. 60% of girls said no. Only 35% of girls, um, boys said no. So that means more girls wanted to um, control other females' sexuality compared to men. And in terms of prostitution, in terms of going topless, it's always men who are more, far more liberal on these issues than females. Even if you go to places like Iran, where they have mandatory hijabs, it is f- women again who are more controlling of other women, and they want vi- uh, than men because women, are, are to a higher extent than men, say that women should be forced to wear the hijab, and this can be explained by evolution quite easily because obviously, female want to uh, compete with each other mm-hmm. for the best mate, right? They wouldn't so, want that competition with other women. Yeah. They're trying to create exact, equal play. Yeah, yeah where, where a man would be like, no, I want all the women. I want to be able to. Procreate with all the women possible. Yeah, exactly. Like, why would a male be against women showing their um, boobs, right? Like, like that makes no Mm -hmm. sense. But a female would be against it because it could make her potentially look bad. And David Buss did a good um, study on this called the uh, competitive derogation strategy. So what he found is that females' um, derogation strategy for other competitors is to call them tramps, say that, oh, they are very slutty and um, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Well, for males, it's different. Like, they compete on status, and they're far more violent than females are, and stuff like that. So both the sexes have their own um, strategies. But the thing is, feminism says that slut-shaming comes from a place of misogyny, and it comes from males controlling female sexuality. But that is not what the evidence shows. So then would you say that our society just needs better education on the history of ideas? 
because if fem, um, if a lot of feminists today see this um, this thing that's going on in our society, specifically with slut shaming, and we want to change that idea because we're in a place in our society where that can be left behind because our women are, have a lot more choice in what they want to do with their lives. But we're still in a place in our society where we look at that and we don't have a good idea of where it came from. Yeah, also feminism is also a very emotional movement too, right? Uh, I mean, uh, I think, I think uh, one of the things I've always said is, you know, what, what makes a good feminist from a bad feminist, you know, if a, a, a good feminist is somebody who wants equal opportunity, a bad feminist is somebody who treats men as the enemy. Yeah. So th- this is roaming around in, in my head, and I'll leave it up to the, the to Christina and, and Dave to, to sort this out. Even <laughs> though there are more women who um, wish to control, let's say, let, since we're on slut-shaming, that more women do this than men, I would think that there are more men who are in control of community mores and, and law to be able to reinforce that. For instance, if you have a, um, if you have date rape, I'm using extreme things here, but if you have date rape and so forth, men have a tendency to say, it's the woman's fault. She provoked me because she wore this little, it's not my fault. And it is the, the woman's um, uh, responsibility to dress conservatively and to act conservatively or else I, you know, will be distracted by her behavior. So I guess my point is, isn't it still in society the man who determines the, the type of, of, uh, of behavior that could be considered slut-shaming and then holds the woman back from making the choices about her behavior and her, and her dress more than being controlled by other women? Um, I don't know if I'd actually agree with that. Because, like, it's I... A, oh, sorry. No, I'm just asking a question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Go for it, Dave. Yeah, so are you talking about, like, is, is, are you saying that because males are most of the politicians, politicians and leaders, it is up to them, is, and because the males are the leaders, that is why this keeps going on? No, is that what are you trying to say? She, she is saying that they do have uh, an undue influence on what the culture would bring out anyway, right? If they're making the laws and then breaking the rules, they can also make or break what is acceptable or unacceptable. So therefore, you know, are, are they just turning a blind eye? Um, yeah, so again, this goes back to what I said that males being leaders is not just is not because um, ma- is not arbitrarily chosen for males to be the leaders. Again, I go back to what David Buss said that he proposed a co-evolutionary theory to explain the origins of males being leaders. That is suggesting a female tendency to prefer men with resources and men's competitive strategy have co-evolved. Men are not competing against women mostly. Men are competing against other men. Men want to keep other men out of leadership positions. Men want to look better than other men because that is how they will get leadership positions. And men have these leadership positions and aim for these leadership position, positions because that is what is more, most attractive to females. Even today, um, females who have the same, like for example, female doctors and female lawyers, they, they earn a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. But they aim for men who 
earn at least the same amount as them or more than them. Now, Dave, what Nancy was trying to say here is if if biologically female are attracted to the male with the most resources and he becomes the leader, okay, yeah. it would be to his advantage to create the set of rules and set of laws that stops slut-shaming, right? Because in his biological mind, uh, subconsciously anyway, he wants to procreate as much as possible. So I guess that what Nancy's asking is it seems there, there's a disconnect here. If, if women are trying to level the field, for lack of a better term, for, for keeping all the women, you know, they're, they're, they're slut-shaming each other, would it be an advantage for the male to stop that behavior when he's in a position of power? Um, that's the thing. I don't think males have that much influence over culture. and male, I don't think males would do that because there's different types of males, obviously. Some males do prefer slut-shaming because they want females who are less promiscuous because those males are more into like having mm-hmm. children, long-term mating, right? While other males are more into all kind, con- like just just being promiscuous mm-hmm. as hell so yeah um can, uh, I, can i also just jump in here quickly of course i don't mean to cut you off but um there's also a difference between what the upper echelons of like politics can influence on a day-to-day mind frame level That's a very so good point. if you have a politician like say the prime minister saying you know shut slut shaming is not okay anymore that isn't going to have as much impact as a father telling a daughter. Yeah, exactly. Because when you have individuals close to you that you respect and spend every day with changing your mind on a day-to-day basis, it's like I'm um, saying, like that's why as, as like a woman in, like say I'm hanging out with a group of friends and we're walking down the street and someone's like, oh my gosh, her skirt is like so short, that's so yeah, gross. Like what are you wearing? Well, yeah, it's, on. it's on the people in that immediate group to be like um no that's actually not okay like I I, I I agree with you but at the same time these 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 uh, behaviors that we see today did not just arrive yesterday they evolved when people were in tribal villages yeah when you, the, these behaviors could have changed of course the prime minister today at the head of 30 somewhat million people is not going to have that mm-hmm. kind of an impact on everyday life but when these 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 behaviors evolve People didn't have countries of 30 million mm-hmm. people. You know, you had maybe a, a city-state of maybe yeah. 100,000 at But most. the problem is you, you don't change a society by starting at the top. Oh, I agree. You have to start at the base level, on an individual level. So if, if you push it off, oh, the leaders of the society have to start the change, that's backwards because it's, it's the individual citizen that has to start that change in their own mind. Well, you're, you're except in a democracy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that hasn't really been the case for yeah, the most but, of our history. Yeah. Because if you have, like, a communist society, then the individual doesn't matter. Just just a village. Yeah. Just a tribal village. You know, it's not necessarily a democracy either, right? Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah, well, I'm, I guess my point was, too, that slut-shaming is a way of controlling women and diminishing them in in society and saying um, you're you, you don't have the right to be able to um, to choose the kind of dress and, and behavior that that's appropriate will determine that the males are going to mm-hmm. determine that for you so that they, it's an advantage legally it's your fault for being for having a short skirt and being in that neighborhood at three o'clock in the morning not the fact that men should be able to control themselves in 
a civilized society, but it's your fault because this is the way you you, you dress this diminishing her, her sense of body um, um, confidence and, are you, and are you saying are you saying that maybe males determine that rule but it's enforced by the other females I, I think it's enforced by, by by mostly men you think so I do Dave what do you think um, no, I don't agree with her at all. Like, I do not think it's mostly enforced by men. I think the fact is that the fact that evidence shows it's mostly enforced by women, and it makes perfectly good sense why women would do that. Because obviously, women want the best mates, so they want to make the competition look bad. The th- I think the reason she's saying that it's enforced by men is because, again, men, men are the leaders, right? So... You would think men, since being the leaders, they should have more influence over society and and culture. But the thing is, this is again downplaying female agency. You're you're you're. What are you doing? Is basically saying, oh, this should be males should take uh, responsibility and try and prevent women's from suffering, even though women are doing it mostly to themselves. And this is this is um, I think the way to fight slut shaming for example is like for example I don't think you can ever end it per se but what you can do is obviously make it legal and allow females to choose whoever they want and most western societies has, most western societies do allow that so, so, so that is th- so you think that Using um, leadership more as a, as Christina was was saying that it starts from the bottom up in the family and the and the peers. So you think that in a family role it would be a mother rather than the father that would say to the teenage girl, "You can't go out like looking like that. Cover yourself up." It's a good point. Um, I think it is the mothers who have more influence over like what their daughters wear than fathers do because i do even though we keep thinking that is mostly male con- males are controlling this the the statistics and evidence do not point it that way at all i'm i'm pretty sure i'm obviously sure that dads do also not want their females to i mean dads do not want their daughters to be very promiscuous and stuff but when it comes to dress codes and all that kind of stuff, that is a heavily female-dominated thing because, like, um, females um, derogating other females over their appearance and their promiscuity is it's a it's a mating strategy. I, I think, I think if, I, if I may interject, I think I think you're both right in that sense. Uh, I think that uh, Dave is right in saying that it is a female strategy. So the daughter will be um, attacked by her peers. But I think you're also right because when you say when she's at home and mom and dad are there, dad's going to stop her from dressing provocatively because he doesn't want to start supplying uh, resources for a possible child of hers. Especially when she's too young and she's not off with married or with with a, with a guy, so he would have to devolve or give some of his resources to help that child. So I think I think I think you both have it right there. Yeah. Well, my concern is that when Dad says that, it creates to a negative image on the part of the the. T- I may be wrong in terms of this debate, but I I think it starts in an image, you know, where women just don't have enough confidence in them in themselves because they're being held back. Mm. Um, I, I think maybe artificially, protectively. I I agree. It's just a question rather than a point that, that I'll 
that I'll hold, you know, very rigidly. So, 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 Dave. In, in, in conclusion, there, if you were, if <laughs> magic wand moment, if you were to try to reinvent feminism, then you would think it would be more acceptable and more uh, beneficial. What would it look like to you? Um, I would not create. Uh, I would not base the gender dynamics on oppression, first of all, because that's not how I think males and females behave. Like for, like for example, right? Humans have lived in small hunter-gatherer groups for through like for 99% of our history. So we evolved to be very tribalistic. So you can understand racism from that point of view. Like for example, one tribe will think the other tribe is like, like bad and evil and they're not like us they're different to us and we should and stuff you can kind of understand why racism came from the tribalistic point of view right like for example um i think it is only in like like humans left africa like fifty thousand years ago and then about 500 years ago is when more like white people found out that africans were living in africa so obviously they're going to start immediately start like having these like feelings of tribalism because they look so different to us right mm-hmm. but the thing is human men and human women have not lived apart it's not like men lived on one island and females lived on one island and they just came together and then men were just like being tribalistic towards women that is not the thing men are always intersexual competition is always stronger than intersexual competition males main competitors is other males not women uh, you so, obviously never been on eHarmony. <laughs> 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 so what I think is the the basic flaw of feminism is that it thinks that the way human society was based, like males having leadership and everything, is that feminism does not give any agency to women in this thing. They think women were just controlled by men and just taken along for the entire ride. What I think we should instead do is try and understand from an evolutionary point of view why males and females behave this way cross-culturally we can find universalities we can find universalities between primates between mammals so you can see how it's not just in humans it's in other animals um males and females behave in a very similar way can i I I jump in here for a second because i i think it's super important to look at the history of how gender roles developed and but i think it's also very important to realize that where we are in our society right now is a place where we can break out of those yep and realize that feminism is pushing that pushing the idea that it's okay to break out of those gender stereotypes not that if people want to continue with those gender stereotypes that it's wrong because that's that's going against what feminism is because if if as a feminist i'm like oh women can't have kids anymore they can't be wanting to have a big family and be monogamous that would be also not feminist but we have to realize that we aren't where we were 50,000 years ago we aren't where we are 50 years ago we're at a place where if a woman wants to become a mechanic all the power all the more power to her if a if a woman wants to become a nurse or a social worker or just be a stay-at-home mom with five kids that's totally okay because she has all the rights to do with her life as she wants so i i think it is so important to 
look at the, our history, like you were saying, and see the development of the nurturing um, core to femininity and the the drive in males to kind of get the resources possible to take care of a family and they want to lead their communities but realize that if a woman wants to lead their community she should have the exact same opportunity not that you have to have the exact same amount of women and men but she deserves the exact same opportunity just as a, a father deserves the exact same response or the exact same opportunity to be a stay-at-home dad with five kids and that shouldn't be looked down upon we should look the exact same at that father and be like you know what he's doing exactly what he wants to do and not be like oh well he should have you know become a ceo hmm. because that's what male power is we should be like you know what it's okay to do what you want to do in your life but i, I definitely agree that knowing the history of humanity and where we've come from and being able to look at our past and see where we want to then go with our future mm-hmm. And that is a fantastic way to end this interview. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I guess since you're anonymous, we're not going to ask <laughs> how can people find you. <laughs> but uh, No doxing here. <laughs> <laughs> but I sure hope you can come back and join us on the show again. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. I thoroughly enjoyed having you. Yes, that was a great <laughs> conversation. Yeah, it was. A, it was. There's, there's so many aspects that we didn't get to, Dave. I, I really hope that you'll come back and join us and we can continue the, the discussion. Yeah, for sure. I really enjoyed talk, mm-hmm. talking to every one of you guys. And I really appreciate that you guys listened to me because obviously this is a very controversial yeah. topic. Very. Um, and it's so complex. So yeah, complex. Yes. It's certainly, we, we won't solve it here today on the show, but. What? mean we are going to solve the world well, problems? We, we're trying. We're trying. <laughs> Just remember, Dave, you're awesome. Yes. <laughs> Go Canada. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much, you Dave. You got friends in BC, and uh, I guess we'll talk to you soon, sir. Thank you. Have a good Just talking to everyone. You as well. And that was Dave from Alberta, Edmonton. It's not his fault. Great guy. <laughs> Such a fun conversation. Yeah, a good conversation. It, it was. A long conversation. My God, we could How go long on was and it? on. Oh, my God. We, we've got about 50 minutes just nice. the conversation with this fellow. Um, you might uh, think of asking Dave to provide a list of his sources so that we could uh, put some that. of them on our website. Uh, anybody that would like to, you know, add to the conversation or, or read more about it. Yeah, uh, I'll I, I'd love to see his list. Yeah, I mean, he's already named a few of his sources that are in, in, yeah. in the show, so it'll be interesting to to see what mm-hmm. he said about that. And this conversation we'll have again, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, guys. That was great. And, uh, it was. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Christina. Great points. And great points from <laughs> great Dave. Points it was, they were evenly, I think they were well evenly matched. Yeah, in temperament nice, and in content. Nice little mini rant at the end there. That was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. It's you, great. Uh, you definitely got it going. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, you can find us at leftatvalue.com. You can find us on Facebook, on uh, uh, Twitter, at LATV Podcast. And you can send us an email, leftatvalley at outlook.com. You can send your complaints to Nancy Carol. <laughs> <laughs> On the third floor. On the third floor. floor. Coming up. Oh, we got, we got. Next week, we'll be talking to Rhonda Tyson. She's the wife of Randy Tyson, our friend from uh, the Legion of Reason, about being an atheist nurse in Ghana. Wow. Oh, wow. If you think you got religion shoved in your face here, wait till you hear her story. On the 12th, we'll be talking to Marissa about being transgendered. 
I'm so excited. We'll be talking to Karen Gorst about uh, feminism and, uh, and uh, women in atheism. We'll also have Veronica Dress. She's a friend of our uh, friend Daryl Ray. Remember Daryl Ray? And we'll oh. be talking about gender assignment on birth. Oh, fun. Uh, we had a theme going. Yes. <laughs> In September, we'll have our friend Jonathan Baker. Remember, we had him talk about uh, the uh, climate change. He's coming climate back. Change, to talk yeah. about the Paris Accord. Oh, oh my gosh. After that, we'll yeah, have our old friend Daryl Ray. will come back to talk to us about the, the recovery from religion. And we'll actually have an interview with Michael Sparks. We'll be talking about Bernie Sanders and what Canadians thought about that. Yay. On the we've got an all-star lineup. Oh, Bernie. <laughs> it doesn't even, it's not even done. You know? On the 23rd, Bernie. we'll have our old friend Arn Raw. Oh, oh returns. I'll be talking to us wait. about Noah's Flood. I can't wait for I wish he so had fun. been on the conversation about evolution and feminism. That seems like that something would be right down his alley. And then after that, we have the legendary Jerry Coyne to cap the end of the month. It's a good next few it's months. It's going to be a good next couple of months, guys. So stay tuned to the show. It's going to be great. Anything else you need to say? Read Harry Potter. <laughs> of course you said that. <laughs> watch, watch her reaction. Harry Potter. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Until next time. Don't believe in them. I think the reason is apparent. You do what you're told and believe in the God assigned by your parents. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. I'm an Something to be ashamed, I'm an atheist, 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 atheist.